The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. It's great to have you here today. And um, there's also people in the atrium, and we welcome you guys here today. Also today we're joined by uh, J-Life and Student Impact are watching us. If you guys yell on three, let's see if we can hear them across the building. J-Life, SI, you ready? One, two, three. I don't know. We didn't hear you, or maybe you're not with us yet, So, but they're supposed to be with us, and a lot of people live streaming this hour, too. Uh, so it's great to have you here. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here, and we started a series last week I'm very excited about. It's called God's Design, and we really are looking at the scripture to see uh, what the Bible says about our loving designer and how he has made us and how he has created us. And we're talking about many topics in this series, and this morning, as you heard earlier, the topic is holy sexuality. Uh, our guest speaker, who I'll introduce you to more fully in a little bit, is Dr. Christopher Yuan. He was with us last night and walked us through a workshop that was incredibly powerful. Um, last night, we looked at the six key texts in the Bible that address the topic of homosexuality, and I thought Dr. Yuan brought those passages to us very, uh, very strong, very powerfully, in, in a way that was full of truth and grace. And so those uh, are available to you online. You can watch those if you missed yesterday. And he also, uh, the second part of the workshop was equipping us as believers to hold to what the Bible says, to hold to the truth, but also be, be very gracious in loving in how we live out that truth. That's exactly how Jesus walked in this life. He was full of grace and truth. And that's the kind of man I want to be. And that's the kind of church I long for us to be. So uh, it was a great night last night. It's all available online. Um, I also wanted you to know that next Sunday uh, at the 8 o'clock hour and the 11 o'clock hour in the atrium, there'll be some of the staff and, and elders from Parkview walking you through a lot of the same topics if you weren't able to make it last night. Not nearly as well as Dr. Yuan did, uh, but we've been studying these topics as well. And we really would love for you to know clearly what the Bible has to say on, on many subjects. But next week, we'll hone in on those passages uh, that talk about homosexuality. So it's great to have you here. Let me introduce the Yuan family to you. So uh, this is uh, Dr. Leon Yuan, uh, Yuan. This is Angela Yuan. And this is Dr. Christopher Yuan, our speaker today. Uh, he has uh, a bachelor's degree, undergraduate degree at Moody Bible Institute, a master's degree from Wheaton College, and then he just finished his doctorate at Bethel College. So um, it's great to have you guys with us. They've done a great job for us this weekend. Could you please give the Yuan family a warm Parkview welcome? America, where money grows on trees and streets are lined with gold. Well, at least that's what I perceive when I first passed through Ellis Island of New York City on October 30th, 1964. I quickly realized how wrong I was. The first night I stayed at my friend's rundown apartment in the slum of Harlan near Chinatown. Even more surprising, was the day after October 31st when little people were in mask, ring doorbell, and said, trick or treat. I said to myself, what have I got myself into? 
Angela, my college sweetheart, came a few months later, and we married the next year. I also assumed just because we were in love, we would simply live happily ever after. How naive I was. <laughs> we were not Christian then, and uh, being a, uh, after years of unresolved issue and self-centered living, our marriage was a disaster. So with encouragement from both of our sons, we began the paperwork for a divorce after 28 years of marriage. In the same year, on May 17, 1993, our son Christopher came home after his first year at University of Louisville Dental School. He made an announcement, I am gay. Since our marriage relationship was hopeless, I did not work as a team with my wife to face this enormous challenge. Not only did I not comfort her, but I also accused her making our son gay. Christopher's declaration affirmed my belief that we should all go our separate ways. Let him be, because there's nothing I can do about it. Besides, isn't it more important to be happy? But my wife responded quite differently. You will never think that three simple words, I am gay, could cause so much pain. I actually thought I could threaten Christopher with the automaton to choose the family or choose homosexuality. But Christopher already bought into the lie that he couldn't change, that he was born gay. So he said, if you cannot accept me, I have no other choice but to leave. Without any hesitation, Christopher picked up his bags and left. Nothing can describe how I felt at that moment. It was worse than receiving news of Christopher's death. He could have cut me with a knife, and it would have hurt less. In my mind, Christopher, who was closest to me, and my last ray of hope had also betrayed me. I was at the end of my rope as my world fell apart around me. I had no more reason to live. So I determined to do the unthinkable. I was going to end my life. Even though I was not a Christian at that time, I felt the need to meet with a minister who gave me a pamphlet on homosexuality. Then I bought a one-way Amtrak ticket to Louisville well, I plan to say goodbye to Christopher for the last time before ending it all. With only my purse and a pamphlet from the minister, I bought on the train thinking that death was the only answer to all my problems. Never be much of a reader. On the train, I began to read the pamphlet, which explained the plan of salvation, that all of us are sinners. Yet God loves us in spite of our sin. God opened the eyes of my heart. Then I realized that just as God loves me, I could love Christopher in spite of him living as a gay man. After arriving in Louisville, 
I called a number from the back of the pamphlet and was connected to a Christian lady in Louisville who began to disciple me. For six weeks, I immersed myself into the Bible and felt as if I couldn't soak up enough. You see, I went to Louisville expecting to end my life. In reality, I did. One of my favorite verses today is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. After six weeks, I got a phone call from the lady who was discipling Angela. The lady was very, very excited and told me, your wife has surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. She has been saved. I was not very pleased. <laughs> Tell her this is not a good news. This is my worst nightmare because from now on, she has God on her side. <laughs> But what I realized, her transformation was not a Sunday-only change, but affected every aspect of her life. What she had was not religion, but an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Little did I know God was also working on me. So I started going to church with her. A friend of ours invited us to a Bible study called a BSF. Bible Study Fellowship, where we grow deeper into the understanding of and love for God and His Word. And uh, I, after studying the Bible, I also surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. The God became the guru, kept our marriage together by drawing both of us to, toward Himself. This was God's way for preparing us for the difficult years ahead. As our son Christopher headed deeper and deeper into the world of homosexuality. From my childhood years, I was like most other Chinese American kids. Obey your parents, do well in school, and of course, practice piano. You see, I didn't fit in with the other American boys. I looked different, I acted different, and I had different interests. God had given me the gifts of music, of sensitivity. And Satan cannot take away those God-given gifts, but he can twist the perception of them. And from a young age, I was viewed and ridiculed as being effeminate. The first time I remember having these attractions was when I was nine years old, after I came across pornography at a friend's house at nine. At that young age, I was confused and afraid of those feelings without any parental guidance on sexuality. Those magazines gave me a distorted view of sex, and they soon became my master. With pornography fueling my attractions, I had my first encounter when I was 16 years old, but I kept my feelings hidden through high school, college, even the Marine Corps Reserves. In my early 20s, I started secretly going out to the gay clubs. Then when I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, where I was pursuing my doctorate in dentistry, I no longer kept it a secret, and I came out of the closet. 
I spent most of my free time in the gay clubs. And I went from relationship to relationship seeking intimacy and happiness, which I found temporarily, but it still left me feeling unfulfilled and unsatisfied. So I began experimenting with drugs. Now, not all gays and lesbians do drugs. Not all gays and lesbians are promiscuous. Some are, some are not. But I want to be completely honest in telling you my story and authentic. But I also want to communicate that when you encounter the living Jesus Christ, he will impact every aspect of your life. So I was experimenting with drugs, but remember, I was a dental student, which meant I didn't have much money. So I ended up supporting my habit by selling drugs, and I sold to friends, classmates, even a professor. See, I actually thought I could live this double life of being a graduate student by day and a promiscuous drug dealer by night. But three months, only three months before I was to receive my doctorate, the administration expelled me. So my parents flew from Chicago to Louisville, Kentucky, and I thought they were going to fight to keep me in school. My dad is a dentist, and he knew the dean really well. All they really needed to do was to threaten a lawsuit, and I would stay in school for three months, graduate, and receive my doctorate. Besides, isn't that what any good Chinese parents should do anyway? Well, to my surprise, as we sat there in the dean's office, my mother looked at the dean and said, It is not important that Christopher becomes a dentist. What's more important is that Christopher becomes a Christ follower. And they said that they're going to support whatever decision the school made. They knew that when it comes to their children, nothing is more important than their children knowing Jesus even more important than education, even more important than career. The reality is many Christians will come to church on Sunday and worship God, but then return home and worship idols. The idol of career, the idol of education, and in essence, we make our children to do the same. Are we putting more emphasis upon our children getting to the best schools? Or are we putting more emphasis upon our children knowing and following Jesus? It's no wonder why over 80% of children raised within the church, with young adults raised within the church, when they leave home and go to college, they leave their faith behind. Because maybe they weren't worshiping God and they were worshiping idols. Nothing when it comes to our children is more important than them knowing Jesus. But I got to be honest with you, I was not happy about their decision. They were not on my side, they were on the school side, so I moved further away from them, further away from Chicago, to the bright lights in big city of Atlanta, Georgia. And there I quickly took over the drug scene in the gay community. I became a supplier to other dealers in over a dozen states. In addition, it was nothing for me to have multiple anonymous sexual encounters each and every day because according to the world, I had it all. Money, fame, drugs, and sex. I had exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And I began worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator because in my world, I had become God. Leon and I had no idea that Christopher was doing drugs. But we knew 
His biggest need was to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So I sent him Christian cards several times a week, and I filled them with the encouraging words, scripture, and hymns. At the bottom of each card, I sign, "Love you forever, Mom." But little did I know, he never read them and simply tossed them into the trash. My wife and I knew the only way to see our son if we fly to Atlanta, so we did. But on the second day, he kicked us out. Not even allow us to call our friend to pick us up. Before leaving, I offered Christopher my very first Bible. Not surprisingly, he refused. But I left it on my on his counter anyway and walked out the door. We found out later. He took my Bible and threw it into the trash. It was more than obvious that he was totally unreachable and completely hopeless. My wife and I committed not to focus on the hopelessness, but on the promises of God. Along with over a hundred prayer warrior from our own church and from the Bible Study Fellowship Group, we cry out to God. For our son, Christopher, my wife began to pray a very bold prayer. Lord, do whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to you. In her desperation, she fasted every Monday for eight years. Once fasted thirty-nine days for Christopher. Literally, she spent hours each morning on her knees in her prayer closet, reading her Bible, interceding for Christopher, and praying for many others. She wrote down many of her prayers, and following is one of those prayers. I will stay in the gap for Christopher. I will stand until the victory is won, until Christopher's heart changes. I will stay in the gap every day, and there, I will fervently pray. And Lord, just one favor: don't let me waver. If things get quite rough, which they may, I will never give up on that son. Nor will you, though the enemy seeks to destroy. I will not quit as I intercede, though it may take years. I give you my fears and tears, as I trust every moment I plead. I prayed those prayers for eight years, and it seemed that God was not answering them. But during those years. God did answer my prayers, just not in the way I expected. His answer for me was, "Wait, be still, and know that I am God." Looking back upon those years when I prayed for change, God did bring change. The change was not yet in me and my husband, 
not yet inclusive, but the change was in me and my husband. What God intended for that time was that we will be changed, that we will be transformed, we will be trophies of God's mercy. As what Chambers said, we are not here to prove God answers prayer. We are here to be living monuments of God's grace. As we live out those years of waiting, we learn to walk and live as monuments of His grace, as God drew us to Himself each and every day. Answer to prayer does not come quickly, and this definitely was not an exception. But my parents were unwavering in their faithfulness to intercede on my behalf. Like the persistent widow, my mother bombarded heaven with her prayers. She knew that it would take nothing short of a miracle to bring this prodigal son to the Father. And a miracle is exactly what God did. This miracle came one day with a bang on my door. I opened up my door, and on my front doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. I just received a large shipment of drugs, not my largest, but they confiscated all my money and my drugs, and I was charged with a street value equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. With that amount, I was facing 10 years to life in the federal prison. I had started with a bright future among society's finest in academia, and I found myself in the ditch among society's despised in the Atlantic City Detention Center. So I tried calling my friends, you know, those type of friends that say, whenever you need something, just give me a call. Those friends that actually get me more into trouble than they're any good for me. Well, what I didn't realize was I had a praying mother at home. Watch out. And she knew that as long as I had those type of friends around, I would find no need for God and no need for my parents. And remember, she loves bold prayers. Well, she prayed specifically years ago that somehow, some way, God would cause all of those friends to desert me. And on that day, not one friend answered my collect call. So you mothers, beware of your prayers. They're going to come true. So I was down to the bottom of the list. Home. And I did not want to make that phone call. As I imagined the earful that I was going to get on the other line. But actually, my mother's first words were, Son, are you okay? No condemnation, no berating words, just words of unconditional love and grace. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Notice that it doesn't say it's God's anger. It's not God's wrath. But it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And even on that miserable day, God was pouring out His grace and drawing me to Himself through the words of my mother. 
actually my mom was excited to get that phone call if you can believe it or not because I hadn't called home in years and she knew without a doubt that this was God's answer to her prayers so as she hung up that phone fighting back the tears she realized she had to do like that good old hymn says count your blessings name them one by one. No matter what storm she was going through, no matter what heartache she was enduring, she had to count her blessings. So she set the phone down and she reached out next to the phone was a calculator. And she tore off a little piece of the animation tape. And she wrote down these first blessings. Christopher is in a safe place <laughs> compared to before. And he called home for the very first time. As my years in prison passed, she kept adding to this list, taping more pieces of animation tape to it and counting her blessings. And today, this list of blessings is longer and taller than she is both sides three days later I was walking around the cell block and I was honestly trying my best to stay to myself I didn't want to mingle very much with the other people you know those really bad criminals I passed by this garbage can in jail they don't take the trash out every day so it was a mound of trash and I looked at this trash and I thought to myself this is my life I'm from upper middle class suburb of Chicago my father has two doctorates I was only three months three months away from receiving my own doctorate I had it made but now I found myself among common criminals. Trash. With my head down, I was about to pass by that garbage can. But something on top of the trash caught my eye. I bent over, I picked it up. It was a Gideon's New Testament. I took that New Testament back to my cell and I opened up that good book for the first time and I read through the entire Gospel of Mark that night. But let me tell you, I was not thinking, this is the Word of God. I was not even thinking, this is the answer to some of my problems. To be honest, I was simply thinking, I've got an enormous amount of time on my hands and I better pass it somehow. But you know, as some of you know, what we have in our Bibles is not just ink on paper, but what we have in our Bibles, ladies and gentlemen, is the very breath of God. And it is living and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword, able to cut through the hardest of hearts, exposing my sin, my rebellion, and it wasn't a pretty sight. And I thought things couldn't get any worse. 
I was wrong. A couple weeks later, I was called into the nurse's office. They handcuffed me, chained my hands around my waist, shackled my feet together. I shuffled into the nurse's office. She shut the door behind me, sat me down, and I knew something wasn't right. She was uncomfortably struggling with the words. She couldn't even give me eye contact. So she resigned to writing something on a piece of paper and slowly slid it across the desk to me. I looked down and I saw three letters and a symbol. It read H I V positive. A few days before Christmas, I received Christopher's phone call from jail. The noise in the background could not cover up his sad and hopeless words. Mom, I am HIV positive. His silent and weak voice trailed off as my body went limp. I felt dizzy, and the world around me seemed to stop. Ever since Christopher told us he was gay, I had lived with this constant fear that Christopher might one day contract this deadly virus. My worst nightmare was now a reality. Christopher was sentenced to six years in federal prison. The news of his HIV status was like a death sentence. A verdict I could not accept. Hang up the phone, the pains of grief torn at my broken heart like a knife. Endlessly, I dragged my heavy body into my prayer closet. Under the cross, I fell to my knees as stinging tears blur my eyes. This affliction was more than I could bear. In the silence of my sorrow, a melody began to play in my heart. The soft and sweet stream of a hymn fill my ears and repeat. It is well with 
my soul, with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. A few days after receiving that devastating news, I was in my prison cell all by myself, just contemplating the utter mess that I've made of my life. I lie there and look up at the metal bunk above me and there was the usual profanity, gang symbols. But someone had written something in the corner and it read, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You see, at the most hopeless point in my life, God was using the words penned by prophet thousands of years ago to a rebellious nation, Israel, to tell me that regardless of who I was and what I had done in the past, he still, he still had a plan for me. I had no idea where this plan was going to take me, but God gave me enough faith, enough strength to get through that one day and the next and the next. My transformation was gradual. I really wish I could tell you that I got down on my knees at that moment, said a sinner's prayer, and everything after that was just perfect. I didn't have any more problems. That's far from the truth. God was convicting me of my dependencies, of all the idols that I had in my life, which were many. The most obvious was drugs. I was in prison for drugs. No one had to convince me of that. But within a few months, God delivered me from the bondage of that addiction. But the last idol, the last thing, dependency that I felt like I could not let go of was my sexual identity. So I went to a chaplain, and I asked him his opinion on this issue. And to my surprise, this chaplain actually told me that the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. And he went to his bookshelf, and he said, here, this book explains that view. So with much curiosity, I took that book in the hopes of finding biblical justification for homosexuality. I had that book in one hand and the Bible in the other. And let me just tell you, from a purely human perspective, I had every reason in the world, every single reason in the world to accept what that book is claiming to justify the way I had been living. I don't, who wants to change? I want my cake and eat it too. But it was God's indwelling Holy Spirit that convicted me that those assertions from that book were a clear distortion of God, His Word, and His unmistakable condemnations against same-sex sexual behavior. I couldn't even finish that book, and I gave it back to the chaplain, which meant 
I turned to the Bible alone. And I went through every verse, every chapter, every page of Scripture looking for justification for homosexuality. I wanted to find any type of a blessing or an, an affirmation for a monogamous same-sex relationship. I went cover to cover several times. I had time. I looked, and I looked, and I looked, and I couldn't find any. So I was at a turning point, and a decision had to be made. Either abandon God and His Word, live as a gay man, pursue a monogamous same-sex relationship by allowing my feelings, get this, by allowing my feelings to dictate who I was and how I lived. Or abandon pursuing a monogamous same-sex relationship by freeing myself from my sexuality, by liberating myself from my attractions and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. My decision was clear and obvious. I followed Jesus. As the days and the weeks and the months of abstinence passed, I realized a few things. First of all, I realized that abstaining from sex is actually possible. The world says it's not, but it actually is. Second, I realized that sexual abstinence is not going to make me go crazy, no matter what Freud and Oprah say. Third, I realized that after a few months of, sex, uh, of, of sexual abstinence, I realized that my sexuality does not need to be the core of who I am. I told myself before, God loves me unconditionally, and that's true. But don't we like to add to God's truth? I added, God loves me unconditionally, and I added, so therefore, he doesn't want me to change. We hear that all the time from people. God loves me just the way I am, so leave me alone. But now after reading the Bible several times, I realized something very important, that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. Let me say this again. Unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. You see, my identity should not be defined solely by my sexuality. My identity should not be grounded in my attractions. My identity is not gay, is not ex-gay, is not even heterosexual for that matter, because my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. God says, be holy, for I am holy. You know, I used to think that if I were to become a Christian, I would have to become a heterosexual. That somehow the more straight I was, the more Christian I would be. But I realized that even if I started having heterosexual feelings, I would still need to die to self daily. I would still need to put to death my sin nature every day. So heterosexuality is not the goal. Besides, God never said, be heterosexual for I am heterosexual. But neither did God say, be homosexual for I am homosexual. Rather, God said, be holy for I am holy. So the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. That is not the goal. But the opposite of homosexuality is 
holiness. As a matter of fact, the opposite of any sin struggle is holiness. I don't need to focus upon what I feel. I don't even need to focus upon whether I might still be tempted or not. But I need to focus upon living a life of holiness and living a life of purity. Because change is not the absence of temptations. God does not tell you, come to Jesus and you'll never be tempted again. So change is not the absence of temptations, but rather change is the ability to be holy by the power of the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of temptations. Because the ultimate issue is not whether I might still be tempted or not, or what are my attractions, but the ultimate issue is that I yearn after God in total surrender and complete obedience. As I began to live this life of surrender and obedience, God began to reveal His plan for my life. And I realized that, he, that God called me to full-time vocational ministry while I was in prison of all places. And, with, and, and I know, knew that if God was calling me to ministry, that my calling would remain the same regardless of the location, whether I was in prison or out of prison. And so with that change of heart, God did another miracle. And he shortened my sentence from six years to three years, which is almost unheard of in the federal system. So with only about a year left of my prison sentence, I knew if I was going to continue on a ministry after prison, I'd better learn more about the Bible than just prison religion. So I called them, collected my parents, told them I think God's calling me to ministry, and I asked them to mail me an application to the only Bible college I had ever heard of in our hometown called Moody Bible Institute. But then there was silence on the other line because I think they both dropped their phones. <laughs> they mailed the application into me to prison. I was so excited when I got it. I tore it open, began filling it out till I realized I needed references, not from anybody, but specifically people who knew me as a Christian for at least one year. I had some slim pickings in prison. <laughs> But I was able to persuade a prison chaplain, a prison guard, and another prison inmate to write my references to Moody. So amazingly, Moody actually accepted me. I was released from prison in July of 2001, and I started the very next month in August of 2001 at Moody. So imagine the surprise of my classmates when I answered their question, what did you do this summer? <laughs> I graduated from Moody in 2005, went on to my Master's of Arts in Biblical Exegesis from Wheaton College Graduate School. I just received my Doctorate of Ministry in 2014 from Bethel Seminary in St. Paul, Minneapolis. And I also had the honor in 2011 of co-authoring a book with my mother called Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope. She wrote chapter one, I wrote chapter two, she wrote chapter 3. She wrote all the odd chapters. I wrote the even chapters because we wanted to tell you from our own first-person voice how you can have the same situation told from two totally different perspectives and then God and His power and His grace brought us all back together. In the back of every book is a free discussion guide. And actually, our book has been translated now into five different languages, German, Chinese, Spanish, Slavic, and, and what's the other one? Korean. Um, and we, we, we have English and uh, Chinese and Spanish out there. Uh, but in the back of every book, even the translated ones, has a free eight-week discussion guide that many small groups and cell groups are using to continue the conversation on this issue of biblical sexuality. And not just that, but it's also continuing the conversation on prodigals. 
and continue the conversation on uh, unanswered prayer. And we've also found out that many Christian high schools are using our book as a textbook. And it makes sense. Because I don't know if you realize this or not, parents and grandparents. This younger generation, they are being flooded, inundated with resources on sexuality and being made to read these books in grade school, often without you knowing, almost all the time without you knowing. There's some kindergartens that actually have a picture book that they're going through about a transgender teddy bear. And yet, what do we do? Oftentimes, stand around and say little or nothing and give hardly ever any other research. The whole world is talking about sexuality and we are often silent. Silence is no longer an option. Silence is no longer an option and we need to provide resources that actually engage the culture, that actually talk about biblical sexuality in a winsome way that children and our kids will read. So sometimes, you know, people will go back to our book table and, you know, this one time this old lady, she got eight books. She was like 85 years old. I mean, she was, she was really old. She was just, you know, barely walk over there and, you know, I was, I was like, you just need one. Um, she's like, no, I need eight, young man. <laughs> and she said, I need one for myself and seven for my grandchildren. Every one of them is going to get a book because they have to learn about biblical sexuality. The choice is ours. Will we continue to allow the world to teach our kids about a sexuality from a non-Christian worldview? Or will we seize this opportunity to engage the culture and help this younger generation to be able to engage this culture as well on this issue of sexuality with truth and with grace. The choice is ours. Amazingly, God has given us back the years that the locusts have taken away. And my parents and I, we travel around the nation, around the world, talking about God's grace and God's truth on this issue of sexuality. And then as if that wasn't amazing enough, God has a sense of humor. Because he's brought me full circle back to Moody where I'm now teaching in the Bible department. So I went from prisoner to professor. How about that for a resume? But God has done far, far more abundantly beyond all that we have asked or thought. You know, when I look back upon my life, most of which were far, far apart from Christ, I see a lot of bad decisions that I've made. Some that have resulted in some big, huge consequences. One of those being HIV positive. you know I realized something that actually I am no different than any of you all of our days are numbered not one person in this room has been promised tomorrow here on this good earth 
But you know, it took getting HIV for me to realize a profound truth that as a child of God, I must live with a sense of urgency. Can I tell you guys something? This world we live in today, I mean this crazy, crazy world we live in today. When I look at what's going on in the news around the world, threat of war, threat of terrorism, orphans, widows, economies crashing, disease. When I look at the world today, I am fully convinced this world does not need another good Christian. A good Christian who might go to church every Sunday. Good people in the eyes of man, but doing little for the kingdom of heaven. When I look at the world around us, when I read through God's word and look at what is God's design, what is his purpose in your life, I realize that this world does what it needs most, not more good Christians, but what it needs, what it demands are great Christians. Christians who won't settle for mediocrity. Christians who know that today might be their last, but they're living their everything for him. Christians who don't care what the person on the left says, what the person on the right says, but they're living for an audience of one. Christians who are living with a sense of urgency. You know, 2,000 years ago, it took a handful of simple, uneducated women and men, and they changed the course of history forever. Do you want to simply be a part of history, or do you want to form and create history for the glory of God? We need to be pursuing being great in his eyes, not great in, in man's eyes, saying, look at how great I am, lording over people. That's great in man's eyes. We need to be great in God's eyes, which means being the least of these, which means not coming to be served, but coming to serve. Because whether you're ready or not, all of us, all of us, will one day, I promise you, stand before our God, our Creator. And my hope is that He will look at you in the eyes and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. O oh Lord, our God, enthroned above all that was, is, and will be, you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are creator. You are good and everything that you have created and everything that you have done, oh God, is good. And yet, Father, in your infinite wisdom, you have allowed us to be heirs of the kingdom. You have called us your daughters and your sons, not because of anything that we have done, 
but solely because of your loving kindness and because of your infinite love you have allowed us oh God to call you Abba Papa Father forgive us forgive us for settling for mediocrity Forgive us, O oh God, for settling for pleasing man and not you. Help us, God, to live with a sense of urgency. Because we know that each moment that you have given to us is a gift that we must be a good steward of to use it not for our glory but for only yours Oh God, break our hearts for the LGBT community. Break our hearts for the world. Father, and we look forward to that day. And we ask this in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus, the Messiah. And the people of God said, Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.